Good evening, everybody. Apologies for the delay, but you know. <laughs> okay, so I'm Ali. Um, this Tuesday talk is going to be interesting because we are trying to get back to in-person, which is always nice. Uh, I've got wonderful guests with me today. We're going to have a nice little discussion. So these, 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 two, uh, these two younglings going to high school, and they, 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 took a, they took a significant bite out of a massive issue. And I think they've done an absolutely marvelous job. And without even getting into what, they've, what we're going to talk about, I'm telling you straight up, I've got massive respect that at such a young age, pushing such massive initiatives, making ripples. And this is, this is kind of what we're all about. This is why we even started Mental Health AE in the first place, you know, a little over two years ago. So good. Uh, I'm actually going to let them introduce themselves. So tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do. Um, so my name's Arsh Malhotra. I'm 16 and I'm kind of responsible for the financials behind Stay Alive. Uh, my name is Joseph Fadil. I'm the founder of Stay Alive DXP. Woo! Basically, the reason that I started Stay Alive DXP was to shed light on an issue that I don't think is talked about enough and, you know, kind of create a community and safe space targeted specifically at teens, but for all citizens of the UAE and just kind of reiterating that like mental health is important and it should have it should be prioritized and kind of all the things that come with that creating a community and a safe space and bringing awareness to that fantastic thank you uh, be before we jump in a little bit into about what these what these uh, young people are up to we need to kind of talk about the, the data so the data and you guys have heard me lots of times mention it the data is kind of terrible and sad at the same time 20 to 25 percent of people are dealing with some sort of mental health issue at any given time so you know if you walk into a room of more than four people somebody's somebody's dealing with something you walk into a classroom a handful of people are dealing with something i teach anywhere between 100 to 150 students a semester at university and i never thought anybody was having any issues i thought it's all good man it's all good and, and a lot of that is to do with people not talking about it. UE has amongst the highest rate of diabetes in the world. We're roughly around 19-ish percent plus minus. And it's talked about, and we have clinics set up about it. Hospitals have campaigns about it. Clinics have campaigns about it. Schools and universities talk about it. Random testing is done. Awareness events are done. Where's all of that for mental health when the data clearly tells us it's a higher percentage? If we look at data from a corporate perspective, lost revenue, absolutely ridiculous. If we look at investment towards mental health services, for every dollar you put back in, you get four back, which means $3 is your profit on every dollar that you put into uh, mental health and wellness. So the data is terrible. If we look at suicide specifically, the global rates are ridiculous. It's amongst the top three causes of death of adults 45 and above. It's amongst the top five causes of death of youth under the age of um, 16, if I remember correctly. So it's, it's significant, but you never hear a conversation about it. So, guys, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about, you know, you're, you guys are in high school right now. Uh, we're, we're, you guys are this generation that are constantly connected, constantly networked. I think the first thing you guys do when you wake up is check your phone to see if the, you know, if the planet is still spinning. How did you go from just having fun and Xbox to this? I think a lot of the time it starts with at the age of 12 when you get the phone 
when you get the phone, everyone's connected through social media. And I think social media has just become this highlights reel where everyone just shows their best versions of themselves. And it's just the way we connect with people who live maybe a house away to like a few countries away. So everyone's talking on social media and it's uh, it happens in a way where if you don't talk to someone for one hour, you could have missed the biggest thing in the world. So if there's just a constant connection between people talking on social media, I think we just kind of rely on, depend on checking our phone every day to kind of get that sense of information and that news that we rely upon so heavily. Sounds interesting. I mean, and the reason I asked for your perspective is my perspective on social media is totally different. To me, it's, hey guys, look what I see. This is pretty cool. Let me send you a picture. Check it out. Look what I'm up to. This looks fun. Look what new stupid thing I did. You know, I rolled over my quad bike. Oops. I think the reason that our perspectives on it is so different is because like, the the, like difference in generations is for us like we basically kind of grew up with it like our adolescence like we're that's the kind of the first thing that as as a kid something you're looking forward to like oh i can't wait to get a phone and you just get swept into it so easily and one of the main one of the main reasons that social media does so well is because it's so addictive and if you're just used to that in your everyday routine every single day for years it's just you know something that becomes a part of your life so rather than how you showcase your life to others or how you present yourself it's almost everything about you is your social media how like what you post what you say that's how it it's, is it's sounding a little scary to me at this point i mean we we know peer pressure is very much a real thing the need to want to fit it's it's human nature that's why we operate very much in a tribal format we we find our groups we find our cliques we you know we 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 have our our group set to do the different things. We have that sense of belonging um, and, and that friendship and, 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 and all of those things. Reality of the situation is what you see on social media real? And how much of it do you guys believe it to be real versus they're just showing their best self? And how does that element of peer pressure kick in? I think um, social media depends on your age group and how you're using it. Of course, my mom would be uploading a picture of her garden saying lovely morning, whereas my friends might be posting pictures of the countries they're visiting, spending hours editing it. You know, some people, social media influencers spend hours on Photoshop editing how they look. I think it creates this unrealistic expectation of how people's lives are. And I think people do know that it is unrealistic and that there is an element of editing. But I think when you look at a picture, you don't think, how many hours has the person photoshopped it? You straight away think thoughts like, why don't I look like this? Why isn't my life like this? It kind of portrays this reality where it's not, you feel bad because you're not living it. And that's the entire concept. If you look at Instagram, where you can keep your permanent stories, it's literally called highlights. It's the highlights of your lives. But viewing someone else's highlights becomes, uh, becomes like looking like an insight at their daily life. And I think when you kind of get this negative view about yourself, your life, it kind of reflects into your daily basis. And then it's a very hard cycle to get out of. And just thinking positively when everything around you, when you look at it, you think pessimistically about yourself. It's so easy to see. It's easy to recognize that it's fake on your end, that it's, it's not, this is not what I look like every day. This is not what I do every day. This is not what I eat every day. Like, this is probably the first time you post a salad, like a smoothie bowl, and that's the first time you've eaten healthy for a month, but that's the way you're presenting yourself, but only you know that. 
So I think that even though you know on your end it's unrealistic, it's so easy to forget that it's the same for everyone else because that's what you're seeing all the time. It's like mm -hmm. how you showcase your lifestyle, like it's how you present yourself. But because you're so caught up in how you present yourself and how others are viewing you, you forget that that's the exact same case for everyone else. And you're like, I want to be like that. Whereas they're probably looking at your page and thinking that's what I want to do. And it's just this and this competition that really has no meaning because no one's winning. Cycle to sadness, huh? Yeah. So if we know that's what we're doing and if we know that's what we're looking at and we also let ourselves believe it, how do you think is a good or healthy way to address it? So you don't take away the negative from the social media. You know, you like you just rightfully said, you know, somebody's going to spend hours editing and cleaning it up and they're only showing you the best parts about their trip to wherever they went or you know, check out my life. It's so awesome. I was here doing this and whatever. They don't tell you the rest of the stuff. You know that. Mm -hmm. But yet we still have this as a sphere of influence around us. How do you kind of stand up to it? How do you push back? So part of the change is, I think, starting with yourself. Because you, you can't change. You can't make a huge change if you don't recognize how you can contribute to that. Like there are influencers who are posting like more realistic, like kind of being more realistic or when they're showing their lifestyle, like, I don't know what I do in a day. They say beforehand that this isn't what every day looks like for me. This is just what a good day looks like for me. But on bad days, this is what happens. And like, I think the more awareness we bring to it and the more we normalize being normal as like funny that's, as that sounds, mm -hmm. but like the more that we kind of show that not, no one's perfect. Like everything that you're seeing in the media has been edited and like inspected and every detail has been like gone over. I feel like the more that people with big platforms talk about it, the more people will be comfortable, like audiences will be comfortable seeing that they're not perfect and I need to stop, you know, sh showcasing that I am. Okay, you know, I mean, if, we, if we expand that sphere outside your peer group and we start looking at all these influencers, I grew up in a generation where if I got a recommendation from, you know, to eat at a particular restaurant food outlet, that was done by a food critic, a person who was an expert in that area or a chef who was like, hey, man, this food is really good. I've got reason to believe this person's recommendation based on the expertise that this person has. You know, now I've got an influencer who is, uh, you, you, I think most of them are like this, not all, but a significant portion where they have an expertise in nothing. To me, that's weird. But at the same time, I see the social influence when a mob of people, you know, bombard that cupcake shop the next day. And this guy's like, all, all I want is customers. I don't care who's going to, you know, uh, what do you call it, promote my product or service. And then now these influencers, based on their followers, generate a you know, ton of money promoting stuff that they literally have no expertise in. They're like, oh, this is so good. Based on what? What did you tell me this was so good with, you know? And this applies to, I think, every single industry there is. So you have that. And where you see these influencers making crazy money, crazy money, overnight, a lot of them. And then you have, you know, your, your, your clique and your group of friends. But at the same time, you got to kind of walk into a larger group of your peers when you go to school. So, so, you know, when you walk in through those doors in the morning and then you interact with everybody throughout the day in your classrooms, is that different? Because now you're seeing each other face to face and you're not seeing the, the highlights of my life, artificial or true, on social? Or do you still feel that pressure to, you know, live up to this 
image, this expected image that everyone's created? I think a lot of the times to kind of lessen the impact of social media is looking at it with a pinch of salt. I know I've been doing it recently where I look at things and I, and I, I it's not like I care that much into it. Like often I would see myself replaying the same story three, four, five times. But I think realizing yourself that that isn't right, that it's another best version of my, like of someone else. And I think, and saying it is easy, but doing it is quite hard. But I think someone, you got to start somewhere, right? And when you kind of realize that, you know, your friend, your best friend who lives opposite you, if he's posting him at a party, that's not him 24-7. You're going to mm-hmm. go to school with him. You're going to fail on the same test with him. You know, that's part of a normal lifestyle. And seeing the people and kind of realizing that it isn't a highlight, it's just them having fun, makes you look at it in a completely new perspective. And I think when you realize that social media is everyone just trying to be be themselves and trying to make sure everyone knows it's they're happy, you kind of take less into what they're doing and you just think that if it makes them happy, I'm happy, I'm going to do what makes me happy. And rather than overanalyzing myself by looking at what others are doing, I'm rather just happy for them and like I'm happy they're having fun, you know? See, I think, I think that's healthy and it makes sense to me, right? But, but the question now, and I'm going to talk from the perspective of parents who are sending their kids out there, who are getting them phones and are freaked out about what's happening on Snapchat and TikTok and whatever, because all you hear is horror stories. And then, then you have parents who are like, no, I'm not going to get you a phone. Then there's parents like, no, I need to like audit what you do on your phone at the end of every day. I've seen all versions, right? And then I've seen parents like, yeah, it's a phone, whatever. I don't understand all this snap, snap stuff. Let them do whatever they want. I mean, I've seen all of them. So from a, from a parent's perspective, like what would, you, what would you be able to tell the parents about, you know, like, I don't know, something as simple as what percentage of students are thinking this way? that I know what I'm seeing and I realize this is not real. And as you said, take it with a pinch of salt. What percentage of, of you know, your, 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 your peer group is, is thinking that way? And what, what percentage do you think are actually getting influenced, which is causing them ripples of negative stuff? I often think that we're all 14, 15. Some people have had it since they were 10. A 10-year-old is not going to think that way, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. They're obviously more likely to get influenced. I think you had mentioned 25% uh, of people have a mental illness. And I'm pretty sure within teenagers, especially in the past decade, it has exponentially grown. And I do think that it's hard for parents to completely eliminate teenagers from getting phones because there is a FOMO aspect around it. If everyone does have it, you know, if everyone is talking on it, then you cannot keep someone in the dark. And I think because of how much a child relies upon it, it's kind of an instilled thing within them. So rather than parents keeping people away from the phone, it's rather teaching the children the balance behind what's real and what's fake. I think the reason why a lot of people are influenced is because parents themselves don't know how to deal with the repercussions uh, social media has on some of our mental health. And if they kind of understand, you know, showcasing that this is real, this is fake and kind of shedding awareness about it from a younger age. I think that awareness is the number one answer to 99% of the world's problems and talking about stuff. So if parents are upfront and kind of, you know, think about it from the child's perspective, then I do think it can go a lot of way. But I think there has to be a lot of initiative from both sides of the party to kind of eliminate 
thinking in a negative way and you know make sure you stay on the positive side of social media because there are a lot of positives to social media but sometimes you can get sidetracked in all the bad things as well i think i think what you said right now is very important that there is a lot of positive element there's a lot of learning to be done also and i think the most important thing you very rightfully said is just for parents to have that dialogue do you feel that your peer group is comfortable talking to their parents about this i feel as though like it's harder you can't you can't make a change through just like you can't make a change through just using one method one solution like i i feel as though it's quite unrealistic for us to say well parents should start talking to their kids about it more and that's going to solve a lot of our problems mm-hmm. because a young kids like kids between the age of 10 to even 16 you don't really want to listen to your parents i feel like as you get older the more like personally the older i get the more i realize my parents were right about so many things but mm-hmm. it's just because you're so stubborn you're so you're, you're you're a kid like you don't want to listen you just how could they be right how could they know what i'm yeah. going through how could they really understand so not on, not only that aspect but you also have to look at some parents don't understand there's like you know passing on generation to generation of you know mental health isn't really a problem or it could be sometimes religion can come into it like if you're muslim yeah. like go pray go read quran you'll be fine or if you're christian it could be i mean i'm not very educated on that but like you can bring they can uh, rely on religion and think that that's the only solution but sometimes parents need to not all parents are going to be supportive of um or understanding of their kids like seeking professional help mm-hmm. like going to therapy that's huge stigma around yeah. that Um so we also have to look at education system like how schools need to talk about it more care about it more and not just like you know like a google slides and like a 5 minute conversation yeah. but through the way the teachers interact with their students how they react to situations because obviously there's also the whole thing about how students don't really want to go to teachers when they're having their when they're having their personal struggles like you don't want to be the student that goes and tells the teacher that this guy said yes. something pretty rude to you it's just uncool it's I completely yep. understand it but through through teachers just being more observant seeing that okay well this student is clearly left out like they clearly aren't talking to anyone in lessons and indirectly pairing them with someone that they think might be good for them or asking them do you need any help or you know reaching out and showing these kids that they do have a support system maybe they can't find it at home and creating a support system for them maybe by oh i think that i've been teaching these students for a while and i think the student would go with these so just kind of indirectly cuz it's you can get embarrassed if a teacher comes up to you and says well you look like you're sad so i'm going to you know set you up with these friends it can feel kind of lame you know yeah. so i just think being more emotionally smart and you know understanding that there is like there is a there is a huge role that you could play as a teacher because you are part of that students every single everyday mm-hmm. life and the more effort that you put in the more of a support system that the kids are going to feel like they have okay so yeah education uh, for sure i think you brought a great perspective to this and i'm going to i'm going to come at it from a whole different perspective you might not like it because the realities of life are harsh right so uh i couldn't help but notice you're wearing nike airs max white yeah. my daughter's got three pairs they look exactly the same to me but she swears they're different baba you don't understand why are you all your kids wearing boring looking white shoes right 
This is a question that most parents will have, and they are happy with, I don't know what's wrong with these kids. They want to wear boring white shoes. Let them wear boring white shoes because that's what they see. Yeah. Right. You, you can't expect the parent to have your perspective because they're not living your life. Right. They're not going to the school. They're not interacting on the social channels. They're not interacting with your peer group. Right. So. You know, the, the teacher and the parent need to create this environment where you can have that conversation. But they don't know that there's a conversation to be had. They don't know. They don't know why you like those Nike Air Max thingies, all white shoes. To them, it's all white shoes. So now I'm going to kind of be hard. Whose responsibility is it to instigate that conversation? <laughs> gotcha. <huh? laughs> no, no, no. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah. I'm saying that there's a perspective that you don't see. But there's also a perspective that they don't see. Yeah. Of course. Right? And we'll get to the school part and we'll tangent into the school discussion in a second because that's something very important I want to talk about. You know, yeah. uh, to me, mental health and wellness needs to start not at home, but in school. Why do you learn everything else and not this? Yeah, that's you know? one of the I, my, my dad was from the generation where, you know, the Marlboro man is the cowboy. He's the cool guy smoking cigarettes. That's what he grew up learning. I grew up learning cigarettes are bad for you. I had to educate my dad about it because his whole life he was educated. This is the cool thing to do. He was doing the cool thing. I went and told him, no, dude, this is going to kill you. Nah, they're lying to you. I'm like, no, 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 legit, it's going to kill you. Yeah. Now, let's take a two-minute break. We'll come back on the live. Okay. Uh, but I think let's think about this question for a sec. Like, who, who needs to start that discussion? Yeah. All right, guys, welcome back. We took a two-minute break. Having a discussion with, you know, these young people, I know, I know they don't like me calling them young people, but from my perspective, they are the young people. They are the future. They are the generation who is trying to figure all of this out. And it's not easy. I grew up without the Internet. And then when I got into my school years later on, Internet showed up. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I did it without Google. That's how it's done. <laughs> We had, we had a great conversation about, you know, the impact of social media and how the interpretation of it is for, for their generation. And, and it's, it was honestly very refreshing to hear that they, you know, they recognize that what is real and what isn't real. And I think, and I'm seeing more and more, and it was very nice to hear it being validated, how that perspective on what is real and not real and how these young people let it impact them is changing, which is really, really great. Uh, just before we closed off uh, the, the, the session, I, I asked a little bit of a tough question. We talked about, you know, how the parent and the teacher need to create this environment to have the conversation. And I said, well, how do you have a conversation when we don't know you're supposed to be having that conversation? And who really should in, perhaps instigate that conversation? Should it be coming from, from the child? Should it be coming from the parent? Should it be coming from the teacher? And, and, you know, what roles do the parents and the home should play and what roles do the teachers and the schools should be playing in bringing up a, a happier and healthier generation of young adults? Um, so I think you asked a pretty daunting question, but the honest reality is not all parents are as understanding as you possibly may be. A lot of, a lot of the children might be scared of what the parents might say, of what other people will say. I know a lot of, in Eastern culture, there's this concept of what other people will say, what society will think of you. And I think, um, maybe it's just my point of view, and maybe you will completely disagree, 
but I do believe in 75% of the situations, it's the parent's job or the elder person's job to kind of instigate it. And it's, I completely understand that the point of view is sometimes hard to grasp and t- understand, but it isn't hard to notice a pattern, constant outbursts, lack of you know positive behavior, constant triggers. Yeah, some might just say it's hormones, but sometimes there could be a real reason behind it. You know, if people are getting sensitive, talking about certain things, I think having an open mind and sometimes you have to do the work, you have to think what is triggering. Worst case, you ask your child, why are you upset? And they aren't, and it's just the hormones. But at least it shows them that there is a parent who's worried about them, who wants to know genuinely what's wrong with them. If the child doesn't come to you and you're going to the child, then that's not on the parent. But I think it is a parent's responsibility to make sure that the child knows it is a nurturing environment where they can talk about it. Because without the environment, you cannot expect a child of such an age as 15, 14 to do the daunting task and go to their parents saying, I might need therapy. Because that is frowned upon in a lot of cultures, which it shouldn't be, but that's the harsh reality of it. So if the parent itself can't create a nurturing environment, then the child is obviously going to be afraid to ask and start the conversation about it with the parent. And that's what I think. You might completely disagree. Jude might have an opinion, but I do think that it is a factor for matter in a lot of cases I know personally and in society and in certain Eastern cultures. It, I agree with you 100%. And it's not just Eastern cultures. It's in a lot of cultures. The, the you know, and Hassan Minaj did a nice Netflix special on it. I enjoyed watching it and I was just like shocking on like, man... It's sad how true all of this is. That what will what will somebody say? What will the neighbors think? What will the family think? Uh, I definitely agree with you. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of poke back at you and say, you know, you said the 75%. I'm going to say 90% is on the parent. But I'm not getting the 10%. The parents I talk to say, my kids don't want to talk to me. They're like, you won't understand. And off they go. Uh, so even the, a lot of the parents who try, they're not they're not met very receptively they're not met with i think productive channels of communication right and i it's easy to say all of this but at the end of the day it's a very very yeah. difficult dis- discussion to have very difficult topic and discussion to have um a lot of families a lot of parents by default will lean on religion and say oh you're not doing enough of this or you're not doing enough of that or you're not doing this right or you're not doing that and i'm not ta- just talking about you guys i've talked to thousands of people at this point um and I'm talking about young adults in their 20s, in their 30s, who can't have this conversation even now with their parents because they, they, they hit a wall. They hit a wall. So let's say that both sides try and let's say it's productive. Great. But for the, for the, for the young, young adult who's tried to talk to their parent and they tried a couple of times and they were just met with resistance and ignorance and whatever else you want to call it, Where's, would, would school be the fallback or your peer group be the fallback? Where do you get that support then? I do think that sometimes um, students, or not students, but children kind of seek out maybe a paternal figure within a teacher they might like, a teacher that make, they might confide in. And I do believe that the answer is not talking to a parent. It could be talking to a adult, a friend, a person. I just think that if someone has at least one person they can confide in, it does go a long way. But I also do believe, like you mentioned earlier, that schools should kind of have the awareness about mental health, 
We have an entire section in biology which is mandated about, you know, what is it, our problems to our body? Smoking is bad, alcohol kills. Why don't we have that, you know, mental health? What are the problems with that? We don't know how to help someone with mental illness. Often, I think I saw a post by Mental Health AE. Sometimes people say stuff like, I feel sorry for you to someone who is. And it kind of invalidates the feelings. So I think education and awareness, not only about mental health, but how to help someone with mental health can go a long way. And I do believe that the education falls upon the school. And a lot of the times we have these government um, mandated prog programs, such as social studies, where we should cover these trivial, I mean, crucial topics. And I think if we cover mental health or there's a section or, you know, going to a therapist is obviously, there's a lot of stigma behind it, but it's not that hard if a school has a 40 minute lesson every week talking about the pros, the cons, how to help someone with mental health. So I do believe that schools should play or facilitate a big part in mental health and, you know, at least the general education around it. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, if memory serves me correct, it's been about a year. One, one school in the UE, and again, I'm not 100% sure on this, but one school from the article I read has introduced a, uh, one lesson a week uh, on mental health. And that's, that was it. That was it. And you're right. If we talk about, you know, if we just look at biology and we talk about all these, you know, the bodily functions and digestive systems and whatever other systems, why are we not talking about your brain? You know, and a lot of people might not know this, but your brain uses more oxygen than the rest of your body does. Yeah. So the most significant part of your body, right? And no, no matter how you measure it. But I, I'm always the type of person who doesn't like to complain. So you know, the, the, our story of mental health, a lot of our viewers already know. Me and Latifa were having a conversation about two and a half years ago. Uh, I teach business and she has a business background. None of us are from mental health or any type of, of medical field. And, you know, one of her friends was having a problem and couldn't find the resources. So I, so I said, look, rather than complaining, let's do something about it. And that's how, literally how we created the website, created the Insta. We've done like 70, 80 different events up till now. We've done corporate engagement, university awareness, so much. But it literally came out of, I'm not going to sit here and complain. I'm going to try and do something. And, and, uh, and I know you guys with your initiative, that's exactly what you did. You said, you know what, let's do something. And I think that's awesome. And I want to talk to you guys about that in a sec. But before that, you know, how can we get the schools? What can we do? So all the other, you know, uh, high school, young adults in high school listening, what do, you, what do you recommend? What do you think they can do to get their schools to listen and say, you know what, we need a 40 minute lesson or a one hour lesson a week. Why do we not have this? How can we add this to the curriculum? How can we add this to the schedule? How can we get counselors, uh, full-time counselors on staff? Or if we don't have the budget or whatever it is, how can we get access for our students to have uh, counselors available to them? How do you think that discussion can happen? I think I've, actually, I've had this, com this discussion actually many times. And one of the th main things that's kind of always an obstacle for us is that Really, like when it comes to like teachers, staff, uh, and as you go higher and higher up, it's kind of like, well, I can't do anything. You need to talk to the next person, and like you know, the person who has a little bit, has a little bit more power than I do, who has a little bit more of a say. In. And it keeps going until you've reached a point where you can't even contact these people. It's not really like, kind of a say of the community. So I think starting off with, not just students coming to the teachers and saying, well this is an issue, 
we want you to do something about it and the teachers say well we can't kind of being able to communicate with the teachers in a way that they with the resources they have and with the you know the things that they are allowed to do the teachers are the ones coming to places like ministry of education and khda and saying well we've had so many students talk about this and talk about that and we haven't been able to do something about it so can these rules be changed can we talk about this can we have assemblies on this can we start putting up posters that mention this and that because it's so hush hush and like there's so much stigma around it and like it really isn't getting us anywhere Honestly, it's kind of sad that at such an early age, you guys get to experience the cruel world of passing the buck. Nobody wants to take the responsibility to pass the buck. Go, oh, no, no, go ask that guy, go ask that guy, go ask that. And then after running in that go ask the next guy spiral, you either get tired and leave or you get to a point where you can't reach the next person. But I, I generally don't believe it is like that because in our school, for example, we have a psychology club and they did push for having something for Movember. You know, until maybe two months ago, I didn't know what Movember was about, but the psychology club did have something about Movember and I was involved as well. To the year 12s and year 13 boys, for 20 minutes in the morning, we gave a talk about what Movember is, what No Shave November is, men's mental health, the stigma around it, and you know, why that is a bad thing and what you can do from there. So I do believe that after a level, if you do get annoying enough, the least thing they're going to do is throw the towel in and let you do at least something. Whether that's a 20-minute lesson, a 10-minute post, a 10-minute you know, video you can make, a poster you can put on walls. I know that a couple of people did in our school and like tens of teacher, teachers you know, didn't shave their beards or facial hair for months, uh, for uh, the proper month. A lot of students didn't do it. And you know, people got, at the end of the day, people did get, you know, some sort of awareness about mental health. And maybe it didn't do much, but the least it did was get people thinking about it and thinking and thoughts, as we said earlier, can go a very long way. And even Jude's initiative, Stay Alive, I'm pretty sure majority of our school knows about it. Least at least, if they aren't attending, they aren't watching, they are keeping it at the back of their minds. And it obviously does do a number on their influence and how they perceive things as a whole. But I think that... The way that, I mean, I, I have to disagree again because the way that we did do this and the way that we did get people talking about it was not through teachers, not through the actual school, but kind of through like people wearing our hoodies, people seeing that their friends were following our Instagram, that coming up on the recommended page, seeing, walking past the room and seeing that that was a stay alive meeting. What is stay alive? Like, I think because we aren't allowed to talk about so many topics there's just so much that we can't say. We kind of said, well, that's okay. We won't represent the school. We are our own thing. Mm -hmm. We just all happen to go to the same school and that's why people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. I do agree that like the whole thing about men's mental health and the assemblies that you guys were doing and getting a lot of people involved and especially like getting a lot of guys involved, which is, you know, something that you might've seen like a couple months before that, something out of the ordinary. You wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't have thought that so many people would have wanted to, you know, willingly participate in that and like come together to raise awareness but they did and i think that was the start to hopefully something bigger not just in our school but you know across all education in dubai and then the uae and hopefully middle east but i think that yeah i agree that when you do become annoying or persistent enough after a while you will get more and more opportunities like i think us being allowed to you know 
a lot of students from one school doing something that, you know, we aren't necessarily allowed to directly talk about, but we're still, you know, raising awareness about it. I think that was one step of kind of like, okay, well, we'll we're letting you do this and, you know, kind of just moving forward, trying to get bigger. And now we're sitting here talking in front of all these people. So I think we are making progress for sure. Uh, I love it. And, and that's always been my strategy. Be so annoying that they'll do it just to get rid of you. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times that's worked. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said about trying to move the mountain. That, that can be done, but you've got to pace yourself and it's going to take time and effort. And with, with your generation, which I call the impatient generation, uh, you, you guys don't like to wait. But until that mountain moves ever so slowly, you can go around it. So the strategy, and I think very rightfully, and you guys are a perfect example of this, is that, yes, we want this change to happen at the school level, this change to happen with the teachers and, you know, all the way perhaps up to the ministry also one day. So then it pings back from the ministry to other schools. It's a smart strategy, right? But at the same time, you're like, you know what, this is, we're doing this, but what else can we do right now that can have an immediate impact and create awareness? And, and, and you know, this is where I want to talk, uh, or rather, I want to hear more about your initiative. So tell me more about what it is, you know, why it is, and why is it so important? And I also want you to tell me about what have you heard back? You know, because if when we started, me and Latifa started this a bunch of years ago, I honestly did not expect the amount, the volume and, and the type of feedback that we started getting from people. You know, I, I would literally get messages, you know, thank you for thank you for your organization's existence. I was like, really? I didn't think we were like yeah. doing that good. But yeah. what? So share, share, share a little bit with us. It started off with me wanting to do, like, I wanted to start off by doing a short film, talk about suicide prevention and, you know, kind of uh, like sh like bring awareness and kind of talk about something that isn't really talked about. And then I decided, well, I can, I think I can go bigger. And I basically just did a lot of research for a month and I looked at different organizations and I found you guys, obviously, and I thought it was a long shot. I was like, there's no way they're going to reply to me. But I, did, I don't know why. I did it anyways. I don't know what I was thinking, but I did it anyways. I sent the email and then two weeks later, I got I got one back and I was like, oh, my God, like, no way. Because it, it was I think your website was one of the most. I, I, I'd never heard of it before. And I was like, where has this been for the past three years? Why are my friends not talking about this? Why am I not following this on Instagram? Like, what is going on? A lot more people need to hear about this. So we went on a Zoom call and you guys were great. This is how our friendship started. <laughs> and um, it was just amazing, like seeing that there was some, there were other people who wanted to do exactly what I wanted to do and they were doing exactly what I wanted to do. And they wanted to help me out as well. And I think that was a huge motivation. And then I kind of sent out an email and I was like, guys, if you want to come and help me out, I'm going to do a little presentation, no, like no commitment, but I'm going to do a presentation, talk about what I want to do. And I think like 30 people showed up to that. How, and it was how like, many were you expecting to show up? <laughs> Be honest. Less than 10. Really? Yeah. And like I got like three emails. And after I'd sent that email to the entire year group, there were like people coming up to me in the corridors saying like, I'm really like count me in. Like, I'm so excited. And I was like, wow, like this is this is actually like that's when it really hit me that it was becoming real. And then I had that meeting and usually like Thursday break, like a Thursday lunch. That's the last thing anyone wants to do. Come to a meeting. But 
that there were so many people there, like 30 people. That's like a third of my year group. And I was like, wow. So I started talking about it and I was like, if you like it, you can apply. And even more people applied than um, people nice. that showed up. And it just kept escalating. Had that meeting with you guys, starting show, started showing up to events. And I think something I can definitely relate with you on is that like so many, you don't expect how, like, because I knew that there would be people that were looking for something like this, that needed something like this. And I just did not expect how much support or how much they actually needed it because I was so lost in, okay, well, how am I going to do this right? How am I going to like make sure that I'm sending the right, like putting the right message across that I kind of forgot from someone else's perspective, you're just seeing this thing, which is exactly what you needed to hear, exactly what you know your friends need to hear. And, you know, it's just something that you're really grateful for. And I was just so like taken aback by how many people that's wanted fantastic. to that's be part fantastic. of it. That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. That's great to hear. That's really good. You know, and, and um, it's just, I'm, I'm getting like flashbacks of our early days. And this is literally how we started. And I remember a conversation. We're sitting one night, we're working away at the website, putting content together. It was very exhaustive. And, you know, I reached out to a handful of friends. I'm like, guys, we're working on this. I'd appreciate any help. Man, everybody, everybody helped with whatever they could help with. You know, I've got my friend Simran here. She, she, she even participated and helped. And she's like, oh, this, this, look at this differently. Or what about this? And let me help do that. And let me help everybody. I'm so grateful for the support that we got. And, and I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting it. And I, I expected, hey, good job. You know, the attaboy. Yeah. But I wasn't expecting people to step up. And it's still ongoing. Um, we are entirely self-funded. And, and everything that you see is put together by volunteers on our platform. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for the people. I'm very grateful for all the time and effort that they put in. It's, it's, it's great. And I'm hearing the same stuff from you guys, which is just phenomenal. It really shows how much we needed it, how much yes. everyone else needs yes. it. Uh, in, you know, the early days when it, when I started, you know, posting content from the mental health Instagram on mine, you know, once, twice, thrice, a bunch of times. And then I'd have friends reach out. Hey, man, you keep posting from this page. Like, do you know the, the people behind it? I'm like, yeah, I'm the I'm people behind it. No, no, no. Are you helping them or are you like part? I'm like, no, I'm part of it. And then, you know how you see it says like the little dots or whatever it says typing or something. It's like I see dots, I see typing and it's like it's been like four minutes now. What the hell's going on? I'm like, okay, maybe it's just busted. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I get a paragraph like, yay big. And I'm like, what? And this is a person I've known for 10 years. A person I've known, and this wasn't one, many times. Person I've known for 15 years. Yeah. Oh man, I was struggling with this and I was struggling with that. And I was struggling, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. We were hanging out last week. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. I had a friend of mine, she had a baby. When this conversation happened, the baby was born like three, four years prior, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes, oh, I was suffering through postpartum depression. I'm like, what? When did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the conversation started to open up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then uh, going back, circling back, you know, when, when I was having a talk with Latifa and we were kind of very frustrated and exhausted and tired, like, okay, you know, we need to, it's so hard. It takes yeah. so much time and effort. And I told her, I'm like, look. One of the things that I did not realize, but then I saw when I started talking to people is that it's like, it's like you're dropping a stone in a lake mm -hmm. and you know, we might just see that first wave, but then these ripples go out. And I think that's very much what you guys have also done. You know, you started that conversation, 
you, you, you've created a place where people can say, oh, yeah, oh, okay, somebody's talking about this. And, you know, maybe I feel like I don't want to be the weird kid or maybe I don't want to be the one to talk. I'm very, you know, again, stigmatized about it. But they look like my people. And I think that's very important. I, I think the single most important, activities and activations and, you know, and, and whatever, that's one thing. But the fact that, and I was told this by somebody, and then, and then this person told me, like, the fact that you guys exist makes me realize that I'm not alone. And I think that's exactly what you guys also do. And you guys, you know, are doing a fantastic job at representing. How can everybody listening participate? How can they help? How can they further the cause? How can they give? I, I generally believe that, you know, the entire message is what we're saying is, you know, be there for one another. That's what you're saying, be there for one another. And not even about an Instagram account. It's just that, you know, take the messages we're saying, you know, think about it, reflect about it, maybe 10 minutes before you sleep, five minutes when you wake up and think about it like, yeah, my friend, he looks so happy, but, you know, have I really checked up on him, asked, how are you? How have you been doing? They might say I'm completely okay, but at least, you know, they don't feel alone. They feel that there's someone who, who's there, who cares for them. I think just being that shoulder for to people that people, people can lean on, regardless of them doing it or not, if you keep on asking someone, how are you, how are you, how are you, if they feel loved enough, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, I have this, 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 this going on. Thank you for asking me. And then when they say it, you know, they obviously feel like a burden's been released off their chest. And, you know, you can donate not only to us, but to the actual charities. You know, you can do so much. But I think, number one, regardless of you donating or taking part in any charity, it's realizing that within your inner circle, have I really asked what's been going on in their life? Have I really been there for a person? And that's not out of any of your fault of your own. You know, we all get tracked upon our lives. But still, like, you know, it's important to ask your loved ones if they're okay once in a while to make sure that everything in their life is on track and, you know, just to be that person. I think that's awesome. This one here behind the behind our Insta camera, Simran, she, she drops me a message. How's it going? All right. No. How's it going? Ah, shit. How's your day? Totally shit. How's your week? Even worse. You want to talk about it? No. You want to go hang out? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I think it's also... I think it's being there, important. being there for someone, I think is is, is crucial. Yeah. And yeah. I think kind of being a little bit persistent because every everyone is gonna just say, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. The default answer is fine. Yeah. We've been told that the default answer is fine. Mm-hmm. So you know, a little bit of persistence, a little bit of kind of gently scratching away at it, and ultimately creating a safe space yeah. for that other person to come talk to you, I think is absolutely critical. Fantastic. I see, I see a bunch of people in the audience wearing these very cool looking hoodies. Tell me about this. So, um, go behind the camera right now is actually, a, come, 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 come. <laughs> okay, so, Anaya behind the camera right now, Anaya, you can say hi, you can turn it around. <laughs> no? Okay, wait, turn around. So, Anaya is actually on our product design team and we, okay, we got it. <laughs> we designed these, I mean, I don't know, like, there's just kind of like how we represent the brand, like everyone on the team has one. Nice. And I, it's, I think it's, how I'm can we get one? See. Look, I wish I was like oh, Oprah and like, promo. hoodie for you, hoodie for you, hoodie for everybody. Yeah. I'm too poor for that. So why don't you tell us how we can get it and how people can pay an exorbitant amount of money that'll go for something good because 
dish out the cash, people. You can buy a stupid-ass T-shirt that says Supreme on it. You can spend it somewhere that's going to a good cause. Agreed? Agreed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't buy Supreme stuff. <laughs> I'm going to so get sued. It's okay, I don't got money. Tell us, tell us, where do we how, get them? How can they get the hoodie? So if you go on the Stay Alive DXP Instagram and you go on the DMs, you can ask for the hoodie. You know, we'll follow up. We'll ask for your size, your location. And all of the profit we make on the hoodie goes to a cause related to mental health. I think we're thinking about, you know, using a certain portion of the money to actually licensing some of our teams to become teenage therapists. There was this thing by Lighthouse AE where you know for 495 dirhams you can actually become a teenage therapist yeah. uh, you become a mental health uh, yeah. first aider i've yeah. done i've done first, the adult course for yeah, yeah. first aider it's like, a fantastic course um yeah. it's definitely one step in the right direction mm -hmm. and all of our profits go to a good cause you know we're not keeping any money in our pocket like supreme you say so definitely that's how it works and we have the, like all of our um products we have uh, are going to be some sort of mental health related. I know there's another drop coming, which I think Jude yeah. will tell you about. Okay, more. so we're having a new um, collection coming out soon. Uh, I, this is kind of the first time we're talking about it publicly, but yeah, um, so you guys are pretty lucky. <laughs> but um, it's called the Bidaya collection, which means beginning in Arabic, and it's all about new beginnings and. Um, and I can tell you all about this because she's head of product design team, but. Come, <laughs> tell them about the different elements of, here, ask you up, here, tell them about the different elements of the Bidaya collection. collection, yeah, how they all look so to there's a bunch of stickers that you can buy if you don't have time to buy a hoodie, mm -hmm. and we've come up with a new color scheme for the hoodies, and they are, they are, what, they're moon phases, yeah. and then they have 111, which is the, Angel, the numbers. angel numbers which also symbolize new beginnings and they have a new color scheme to them so they're different colors there's blue and white i think green and, and there's green and white as yeah well. <laughs> yeah so kind of every we spend a lot of time you would know over the winter <laughs> yeah. break oh yeah going to different cafes sketching new things like making a mess cleaning up all over again seeing that it didn't work going all the way to ajman going to like different suppliers factories can you do this for us no okay going to the next person. I think we've been working on this collection since December. Yeah, and we've been working on it for a very long time and slowly coming together. Hopefully our launch is going to be um, February 1st. And yeah, there's gonna be a lot of... Um, so what do you pre-order? You can, okay, pre-orders <laughs> also on the Instagram. Everything will be on the Instagram, but this is kind of the first time we're talking about it publicly. Fantastic. So, yeah, we'll keep you guys updated. I love it, this is great guys. I know we are a little bit over time, so I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Um, all right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> thank this you was so fantastic. Much. And thank you. My lovely thank guest you. today. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, wait. We need to answer questions. We need to answer questions. We, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, before we end the live, I mean, I have one question. And that's like, you know, what inspired you guys to do this? Like, uh, what's the story? Uh, okay. I mean, we understand everyone has seen the metrics, one in four people. But why? Like, what, what made you guys do this? What was the inspiration? So I think the number one inspiration was definitely seeing people around us, you know, not getting the help they deserve, sometimes having consecutively bad days. And it's kind of hard to see that your loved ones are struggling from such a thing. And, you know, if they obviously don't have someone to talk to, and it's not even about us being someone to talk to, it's just about us 
kind of making it more normalized. And I think by us making it more normalized, people around us have become more open about it. So I think the origin story is mainly, you know, seeing those personal experiences of teenage mental health and, you know, realizing that the only way something is going to happen if someone steps up and takes the change. And that's why we got Jude, who actually took the initiative and did make the change. So one question that's been asked is, what are your personal tips on how to tackle a conversation about mental health? Okay, so I think number one, there's different approaches, whether you're having that conversation, you know, for the sake of someone else, for comforting, like, I don't know, a friend or a loved one, family member. I think the number one question that I always ask is, how can I help you? Like, how, how, what can I do right now to help, to actually help and make you feel supported? And it's because it's never the same thing for everyone. So it can be, can you just stay here with me for a while? Or can I talk to you? Like, um, can you give me a second? Like, it's never the same. So you in order to actually have an effective conversation you need to understand like that it's not going everyone's different so it's not always going to be the same if you want that person to feel better you have to understand what actually works for them so i think first question you should always ask is what can i do to make you feel supported right now and not kind of shy shy away from that question feel as though mm, i don't i don't know if i should be asking this right now because that's the whole point of the conversation what would you say another question is um, I think I did this in psychology last year. There's this thing called the Beck's cognitive triad. When you have a negative view on yourself, it kind of reflects onto your future and then on your entire view on your person. And I think, you know, realizing that everything can just stem from one initial thought is the best way to tackle it. You know, obviously saying that just change your mindset is, a completely dif is extremely difficult and it's easier said than done. But I think that looking at things from a less pessimistic angle, you know, rather than all, always overanalyzing things, you know, if you always overthink some things, at one point, just be like three, two, one, and go do something you enjoy, such as read a book, you know, something you're doing as a hobby. You know, it's about initially breaking through the barrier of the negative thought. And you do it once, you do it twice, you go thrice, you got to start somewhere, right? So initially, just thinking about it and being like, what I'm doing is going to negatively impact myself and kind of being self-aware of what you're doing is negative is kind of the right way to start and move away into kind of a mindset where you do feel happy and positive towards your own self and society as a whole. I think also like, you know, reaching out. I mean, we've said this so many times, but reaching out is so important because like all the things that Arush said, completely valid completely like key to you know changing the way that you think about i don't know yourself the world abc but it's hard to do that when it, you're you're completely consumed by this isn't enough like you're not doing like this person thinks this of me and just overthinking it's just this and and the cycle and it just gets worse and worse it doesn't get better but i think one thing that you can keep coming back to is reaching out because Keeping it to yourself is not going to make your problems disappear. It's not going to make the thoughts disappear. It's just this internal battle that you're having constantly. But if you like reach out, talk to someone that you trust, that you know that they are able to support you, they're able to listen to you, and they're able to relate to you on some level, it not only does it put things into perspective for you, but like it kind of you know eases like that weight on your shoulders because like I know from so many conversations that I've had with my friends, I'll have something that's been bothering me for so long and. I don't want to talk about it because it seems stupid, but the second that you say it 
you say it out loud, the first thing that you hear is you're overthinking it. Like, it's not like that at all. And I think also the more that you reach out, the more that your circle will reach out as well. And it's kind of this like, you know, balance where I'm not alone in this and my friend is going through this too, but it doesn't mean that my problems are insignificant because when your friend comes to you saying, this is what I'm going through, you, you never think, well, I'm going through that too. But for some reason, when you are thinking of reaching out to someone, well, they're going through it too. You know, it's, you, you're, always, you're always the first person to invalidate your feelings before you even get the chance to speak about them. But you never realize that that's never actually how it is and that's never how people are going to react. So definitely reaching out. That's the first thing I would say, reach out. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that burnout and doing too much work in school can have a massive carry forward effect into your personal life. I think the number one tip to combat that is kind of doing all your work in a piled manner where you don't let everything collect and just end up doing it on the last day. Because when you do that, you're probably going to put your brain under more mental duress and then eventually crash and burn. And realizing that sometimes just being like stop i've done enough work for the day and not constantly overburden yourself is important and not have be that harsh on yourself like learning is a very harsh process and it's become in a way where education and knowledge hasn't become about you learning but about you passing tests and when you realize that one test isn't going to change your entire life and when you realize that i've done enough work i am tired and you just stop then, you are going to prevent that burnout and, you know, that carry forward into the three, four, five days which happen next. Uh, I Yeah, so as we mentioned earlier, if someone's not opening up and you know someone's going through it, the best thing you can do is just be there for them. People will come to you when they have their own, you know, when they are ready for it, when they feel comfortable. And the best thing you can do is make them feel comfortable. You know, sometimes just distracting them or making them laugh can go a long way. You know, that uh, people don't have to talk about it to make them feel better. They can laugh. You can go out with them. You know, that definitely does help. And when they do feel right, when they do want to talk about it, they will come to you. You know, it just takes time and you just got to trust the process. And sometimes it's not only about opening up, which makes someone feel better. I think also from personal experience, like, the, my first, I think, like, real-life, ex- like, encounter with mental health was, like, through someone who's really close to me. And, you know, they opened up to me about, like, I've been diagnosed with this and this is what I'm going through. And I, was, I wasn't really sure, like, what to do, like, how can I react? Like, so I remember the first thing that I did was, like, do research. Like, I'm, I think I still have that Pinterest board and it's just the person's name. And it's like, what can you do to help your friend who has this or who has that? And some things that I would do, there would be many days where they wouldn't want to talk about it. And I would just go over to their house and while I'm talking to them, just clean their room as we're speaking. You know, just like there's clothes on the bed. Let me fold that and put that in the hamper. Like, you know, just keep doing it. So it's something that seems normal. And sometimes when someone really doesn't want to talk about it, it's not because they're scared to, but because they might feel uncomfortable. They might not, you know, they, maybe they haven't reached that level. Maybe it's something that's very private to them. And, you know, they're still, like Arush said, trust the process. They're still, you know, getting comfortable around you and getting to that point where they can speak to you about it. But when you, you know, kind of build that relationship where I'm here for you, regardless of whether you're 
you know, reciprocating that like, you know, effort to kind of for me to understand what's going on. I'm still I mean, that's what support. That's what friendships are for. Like it's to support one another, regardless of, you know, how easy it is for you, because, you know, not all friendships are easy. And sometimes the best ones are the ones where sometimes it's, it gets a little bit hard, but it's that love that's there. And it's that, you know, that connection that you have. And, you know, there will be days where your friends are kind of like, you know, you, you, you've kind of been down for the past couple of weeks, but, you know, I'll take the wheel right now. Like I'll, I'll do, I'll like, I'll help you out. You can lean on me. And I know that you'd do the same for me. And it's kind of, you know, getting comfortable around each other. And like we were said, not necessarily talking about it because talking about it isn't, even if you do talk about it, and even if you have these regular conversations, that's not all there is to it. You, you have to put more into it. So when you can't have that conversation, do the other things, you know, they've been in their room for the past week. Do you want to go get some ice cream? Do you want to go on a walk? Would you like to watch this movie together? You know, get them out of the house. I think that's one of the most important things, something you can do for yourself and for your friends. You know, when you're in that like depressed state, just get out of the house, change your environment. You've been sitting in your room for the past two days. Go talk to your family, like get some fresh air, open a window. You know, I think changing your environment and changing your friend's environment. As well. I'm going to add two things onto what Judah said. And this is, these are very important. So the first thing that you need to understand and realize, it's not your responsibility to fix somebody. It's not. Yeah. Don't put that burden on yourself. It's not. As a friend, you can listen. As a friend, you can help them get the help they need. Right? Uh, someone comes to me with a scratch. I'll go get a, my first aid kit. I'll put a bandage on it. Someone comes to me with a broken leg. I'm driving them to the ER. Same way. It's not your responsibility to fix that broken leg. But what you can do as a friend to help is get them the help they need. And sometimes that's something as simple as, you know what, let me call and make an appointment. Would you like me to sit with you and talk to your parent? Would you like me to help make an appointment with the school counselor? Would you like, well, not you guys still young, but would you like me to drive there with you? Would you like me to go there and sit in the waiting room with you? So remember, it's not your job to fix them. But as a friend, the, the maximum, maximum is to help them. But remember that. It's a very important distinction. The second thing is, if you feel that somebody is, is contemplating self-harm, now the issue has just gotten escalated. When you feel like your friend is considering or thinking about self-harm, now it got very serious. You need to get uh, an adult into that conversation as soon as possible. As soon as possible. And again, if your friend hates you for it, I don't care. You want to have a friend that hates you for it, than not have a friend. You hear what I'm saying? So if it's, if it's an issue of self-harm, immediately you get an adult involved, straight. No questions about it. Don't think twice about it. You are, not, you are not ratting your friend out. You are not betraying them. That's the best possible thing you could do for them. Do you, I, I mean, I think, I think it's kind of, I think I'm gonna argue with that a little bit. Is it really always the best thing that you can do for them? If it's a matter of self-harm, yes. What if there is no support system? You know, what if there is no adult that you can go to that is actually a support system where it is as beneficial of, for As them? of two years ago, Dubai police has actually been trained mm -hmm. to, and to respond to these type of calls. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to a handful of years ago, uh, if, if somebody called the police that I think my friend is suicidal or, you know, might be thinking of doing some self-harm, they would arrest the person because it was a criminal offense. That law has been amended a while back. Uh, I think it got amended a, a, a significantly long time ago in Dubai, and then it got amended at the federal level, I think a little over a year ago. I'm not 100% on it. But 
there's always somebody you can call. Do not put it on you. It's not your responsibility. Please, I, this is not, I'm not trying to, like, you're not going to be a bad friend. You want to be a good friend, you go get the adult. That's it. It's that simple. I don't want you to think a second thing about it. It's just too much of a risk. Yeah. You know? So you talk to your friend, you be with the friend, and if you feel that you leaving that room, the friend might do something, stay in the room, grab your phone, send a text. Hey, guys, something's going down, need some help. If that person doesn't have a support system, let them lean on your support system. Call your, call your mom and dad yeah. and say, listen, my friend's going through stuff. I think it's serious. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what to do. Can you come and help? Mm-hmm. Your parents will help. They'll help. I've, I've gotten those phone calls. I'm telling you, I've gotten those phone calls. Mm-hmm. And middle of the night, driven, picked up somebody, yeah. driven, sat with somebody while somebody else got help. I've gotten those calls. Yeah. So... Very important to remember. I know you're trying to be good friends. You got each other's back. You can trust me. That's fine. That's all. But it has its place and it has its limit. And the limit, that line, yeah. I'm just going to tell you now, that line, very clear line is when somebody's contemplating self-harm, none of that I won't tell anybody bullshit counts. Sorry. Because now this person's life takes priority over everything else. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of tension in the audience. Should we ask them their opinions? Sure. Um, I actually have an opinion from someone in our audience that says it's not always safe. I've had a girl who was cutting herself because the violence in the house, parents here were not, to, were not of help. Then you find somebody else. If you, don't, you don't go to the cause of the problem to expect a solution, right? So if you've got a parent who is a source of the problem, then you go outside and you go talk to somebody else. Uh, I've had to make phone calls I've had, I had to make phone call for, for a nine-year-old girl who was being beat by her parents. And I called uh, the Women and Children Protective Services in Dubai. I sent somebody to their house. I sent somebody. To, and I, I have more stories than this that I can even tell you. You get the person the help they need. And if that's going to the parent, fine. But if the parent is part of the problem, then there's other places you can go. Yeah. I've done it. I've done it. I'm speaking from firsthand taking care of stuff. I, I, I don't know. I can't help this young person. But this, imagine this young person reached out on our Instagram. Yeah. I was like, can I ask how old you are? What? Yeah. What about scenarios in where self-harm is not necessarily something that stems from being suicidal, but rather just an unhealthy coping mechanism? Because one look, doesn't look, always equal the other. No, it doesn't. Uh, when I'm talking about considering self-harm, I'm talking about suicidal thoughts, okay. right? Anything less than that, you help them get the help they need. It doesn't, it doesn't cross over to crisis and emergency. But understand very clearly, if somebody's thinking about suicidal stuff, this is now a crisis situation. Yeah. Do not downplay it. Do not, oh, it's going to be okay. Because guess what? Just like all of you, when you talk to a parent or when you talk to a friend, you don't tell them the 100%. You tell them the 10% or the 15%, 30%. You still haven't told them most of it. So when somebody's telling you something, trust me, there's way more that they're not telling you. So you immediately, you take, say, oh, crisis box is ticked. Let me get this person help immediately. But I also don't think it's that much of a black and white line, you know. Often, sometimes you don't know the bigger picture. You don't know the bigger story, right? You know, parents might not be the answer. Sometimes police is not the answer. I often don't think that it is such a black and white line. No, it, is, it isn't a black and white line. But 
and and you're not gonna, you're not an expert in figuring out yeah where the person is and where even the line is but as soon as you get that feeling that hey wait a second this looks like it's something serious that's your intuition act on it now you're you're like again you're not the expert right which is fine but when you recognize that there is a situation that could get critical you don't take the risk of course and that it's that simple trust your best judgment don't downplay it and and get external help because you're not responsible for fixing somebody the best you can do is get them the help they need and that's it do you have any more questions yeah, yeah we do um, so what another question is what is your advice on peer pressure should I... oh you guys want to answer you want me to answer i this? think you should answer go for it be you <laughs> i don't uh, <laughs> i yeah wait 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 let me let me let me help you you're going to love this one Check out my shoe. I have a Game of Thrones edition shoe. And look at these fools wearing white Air Max. Be you. Unapologetically be you. Don't worry about what other people think. Yeah. If, you are, if you have a circle of friends that you feel negative pressure from, change your circle of friends. It's that simple. Simplify it in your head and put that into action. Change your friends. If you got friends, who are creating a negative influence, change your friends. Your friends, your friends, this is hard for me to say as a parent, but the reality is that your friends have more access to you than your parents do. You consider your friends a significantly um, softer, safe space because you're worried that you'll tell your parents something and get in trouble. I mean, this, is, this is true. So having the right friends is very important. So the peer pressure Let's not worry about the pressure. Let's change the peer. That's how we fix that equation. No, but I also think what you said doesn't really reflect, like, of course, be you, you know, you're very well educated on everything. As Yara said, it's easier said than done. I definitely do think in situations where peer pressure does exist, it may not be your friend group. It may be the entire collective at school, for example. And sometimes, you know, thinking, you know, I need to change my entire friend circle is so absurd. It's so daunting, you know, that you'd rather be in that group than do anything else. And I think the most, at least in my opinion, the way I've combated with it, the way I think people should combat with it is you should develop what you think is right and wrong, right? When you have such an internal locus of control, when you're sure that, you know, this is my boundary, I will never cross this, I will never do this, no amount of pressure can Ooh. make you crack. Uh, you may not agree with it. No, no, I've got data on this. I agree and disagree with you. Having that is critically important. But understand that you have a sphere of influence. Of and it's not about you actively letting that sphere of influence influence you. It happens. Yeah. Because that sphere exists and the people are in that sphere, indirectly you get influenced there's things you can say a hard no to hey, i don't smoke man no that's fine but then there's things that you passively will pick up because that sphere of influence is around you now i'm not saying dump your entire group yeah. first what you do is you distance and push that sphere a little bit out you create more space between yourself and that that group and then what you do is when you have that space you get a little bit of time to breathe and that's when you do a self-assessment of yourself and say, Yo, who do I want to be? No, I agree with that. And what's my right and what's my wrong? And, and once you push this sphere outwards and give yourself that space, you'll look around and say, that person thinks like me. Mm -hmm. 
that person thinks like hey man what are you doing man let's 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 go you guys want to go uh, i was gonna say go for shisha <laughs> you guys want to go for pizza <laughs> or whatever you know xbox i don't know what you guys do hang around and look at snapchat do not smoke do not smoke <laughs> don't listen to me <laughs> um, i think also it's not it's not easy it's yeah. it's I, and, and i'll tell you straight up it is literally the hardest thing to do yeah to detach yourself actively from a group that you as a human want to be part of you want to be recognized you want to be part of a collective that's human nature so you have to go against your core human nature to create that initial space and then to explore yourself that's not easy i agree with you 100 percent. it's not easy but it's something you need to do and i'll tell you now the group of friends that you have in school will change from the group of friends you have when you go to university will change with the group of friends you graduate with and will change after you graduate out of college out of Ask anybody here who's gone to college and who's working right now. The friends you had, literally, you, there may be one or two, like, hey, man, what's up, what's up, all good, all good. Okay, good. That's it. And then there'll be friends like, yeah, I remember this guy. I told him. Yeah. And that maybe you were hanging out with this person all the time. Yeah. And now three years later, you're in college. You don't even know where the guy is anymore. This will happen. Yeah. This will happen. This is fine. This is you growing. I think also... Let yourself grow. I think also when you're really young and impressionable... It's really important to, you know, have it in your mind that as you grow older, it's actually a lot more respectable because sometimes one of the main reasons you do is like not necessarily like direct peer pressure, but that indirect, you know, wanting to belong, wanting to, you know, be part of something, relate to these people. But I think that if you if we kind of implement it, I mean, what I can do on my end is like my younger siblings or like, you know, friends in younger year groups, your friends, younger siblings and kind of implementing the idea in their mind that, as you grow up, it's actually a lot more respectable to, you know, have, you know, abided by your own values and your own morals, even when everyone was doing that around you. So when it comes to, oh, well, everyone else is doing it and yeah. they look pretty cool in a couple of years, you guys are going to look yeah. pretty stupid. Also, when you start reevaluating yourself and now if you have a difference of opinion between you and the group, guess what? The group will distance themselves from you. Like, oh, is he going to be annoying and tell us not to smoke again? Uh, let's not invite them to the next time we go out. It'll happen. Yeah. Because as much as you should not be with them, they should also not be with you. It works both ways. Yeah. So at the core of it, you actively... Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. No, no, I was going to go on to the point that, you know, distancing yourself is obviously good to a certain... Like, you can't do it without... No, you don't abandon. No, no, no. You don't, no, like, ditch your was, friends. You don't do it without something else, you know? You, you, when you create that space, you will find... Yeah. More friends, which yeah. is fine. You'll see it. You'll see it. What, what you're talking about is respect. Yeah. So with every friendship, there's an element of respect. Uh, I have friends who drink. Yeah. I don't. Just just picking on that example. So I, I respect their choice. They respect my choice. Yeah. We don't pressure each other into one or the other. Exactly. It's that simple. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's a singular example. Yeah. We're not talking about just, you know, like these sort of things. I'm talking about a general sphere of influence. And you'll realize, you know, a lot of times you're busy just trying to be with the group. But you'll realize that you're not feeling yourself when you're with the group. You'll get that feeling. Don't push that feeling away. Recognize it. Because maybe you're not, in that, you're not in the right sphere. Maybe your sphere, doesn't mean that sphere, your, your sphere of friends is here. Yeah. It just might be a little bit of a shift. Yeah. But, and this is hard. You have to be honest with yourself. And once you do that, things automatically will start to happen. You'll see. But you got to be honest with yourself. We are going to have to end it, guys. I'm sorry. We are way over time. Yeah. 
So thank you so much. Follow all the Instagrams. We'll share all the stuff on the social links later. Thank you very much for being here, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you.